What's going on, everybody? Leo Cannell here with today's Seven Figures Club episode podcast. We've got an amazing entrepreneur on today's podcast for you. Sari Rahim founded Financial Asset Protection after learning about the infinite banking concept. You guys heard about this infinite banking concept. It's very powerful for investors, entrepreneurs, utilizing retirement accounts and insurance. It's a combination. It's very powerful. And uh, Sari states this about working with clients. It's never an either or situation. It's a both and situation. We want you to integrate the solutions we recommend alongside our business and real estate portfolio to have a double compounding effect. So I know a lot of listeners here, startups, real estate investors, you know, you're building a side hustle and you want to grow your money. If you want to grow your money and do it in a smart way that's protected, there's a lot of uncertainty. You're going to really love this podcast. So let's get ready to rumble. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. All right, Sari. So excited to have you on the show here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Now you're in the Chicago area, is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Yep. Okay, very good. Uh, in the Windy City there. And and uh, what's your what's your background? Are uh, you born and raised there in Chicago or what's your background? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, south, the southwest suburbs of Chicago. It's called Orland Park. Um, okay. Lived there my whole life and then recently moved about three years ago, moved to the north side of Chicago. So I live in the Lincoln Park neighborhood, if you guys are familiar with Chicago. Where, where are you located, Leo? Uh, we're just south of Salt Lake City in America, okay. Fort Utah. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, so I'm uh, from Chicago and um, work out of my home office here and started a company uh, called Financial Asset Protection, like you mentioned, started about five years ago. And our main focus is using the infinite banking concept, also known as the bank on yourself concept. Uh, and it kind of all started, you know, not so much of uh, being so hooked on titles and, and the way things look, but rather what, what do they do? And I think that ties in a lot with entrepreneurship, right? It's it's not so much of the title or the type of entrepreneurship you are, rather the function of what you do and what you do for your clients and what you do for your family. And that's what kind of led me into infinite banking is that um, it, it actually started ironically with a client asking me, I was a Medicare broker, Medicare consultant. So my job was working with people who worked for the city of Chicago, who were like 64, 65 years old, retiring, getting onto their own Medicare plans. I was helping them make that transition. And then one of my clients asked me if I could help him with life insurance. And he said, you know, there's cash value life insurance and it grows over time. And then not rather just focusing on a shiny object, you know, the features of that product. I thought about, okay, wh why is this client interested in this? You know, he's interested in this because he needs life insurance. He wants it to pay for itself. He also wants liquidity. He wants, he wants multiple things to be done with his, with his money. So I, I, I decided to, um, I decided to look into this infinite banking concept. I came across the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book talks about the strategy, the bank on yourself strategy, and how you could, again, back to the functions, what it could do. Uh, and, I, and I realized a lot of business owners, this would help solve a lot of their problems, the, the, the problems of growing retirements and being able to access them. And, and of course, it could be integrated with other solutions, like how you guys offer access to funding and different areas like that. This could easily be tied into that and could turbocharge 
uh, different areas of a business. So that's why I want to be on the show. That's why I want to introduce this concept and how we can connect it with different areas of financing. Very exciting. Exciting to dive into this. So first off, let's kind of isolate insurance. Let's talk about mm-hmm. insurance a little bit. Yes, with yes. insurance, you've got uh, term life and mm-hmm. full life and universal and variable universal. Yep. So educate the audience a little bit on these insurance types and kind of their functions mm-hmm. and uh, how what you guys do sometimes is best for business owners. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Leo, I apologize about the construction going on right now. For the listeners, sorry, I apologize. Um, as far as the different types of um, uh, insurance, there's typically three different types of life insurance. There's term, whole life, and universal. So term is just like how it sounds. There's a, there's a set period of time. There's a start date and an end date. Usually 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, meaning somebody, for example, is 40 years old. They do a 20-year term policy. At age 60, it cancels. It terminates. Um, and if they survive that 20-year period, the insurance company just keeps the money. And that's it. You can renew it for another 20 years if you wanted to, but you would pay a higher rate. There's no equity or there's no cash value in the policy. It's just term only, set period of time, just like you're renting. Whole life, on the other hand, is for your whole life. Uh, if somebody, again, is 40 years old, they do a whole life policy. It's good technically until their age 121. So for their whole life, and then obviously the life insurance is permanent. It keeps growing over time. If it's properly structured, it keeps growing over time. And there's cash value. What that means is it's not just whole life insurance. There's also cash value in the policy that's accumulating, that's earning interest and dividends over time, and that's building up. And then you, you could access that. You could access those funds as they're building up at any time. Universal is a, pretty much a combination of term and whole life. It was designed usually in, the, in around the 80s. So that way, insurance companies can compete with mutual funds and banks as, as far as investment vehicles go. So it, it was kind of designed as a way to compete with other investment products. And just to be clear, um, infinite banking is not so much of an investment. It's more of a saving strategy. Um, but universal life is a combination of term and whole life. It is a form of cash value life insurance. I guess the biggest difference between universal and whole life is that it renews every year. Um, and it, that's one difference. And the second difference is that it, there's some market connection. So it can, you could do like, a, for example, an index universal life that's connected to the S&P 500. So as the S&P 500 goes up, it's correlated with that. And as the S&P goes down, it's also it also goes down. But fixed products usually have a floor, like, you know, they'll guarantee you like 2% or 3% every year uh, and a maximum of like 7%. So that way you're guaranteed to be within that range. Um, the only thing is, is with universal life, it's very difficult to use universal life policies for infinite banking purposes. So again, it's back to the whole functions thing is that we're not just buying the titles of the products, we're, we're buying into what they could do for us and how they could help us. So in what ways, if you're a business owner and you're an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and you're looking at these different policies, why would that, uh, that whole life uh, policy be better? And then I know there's also a lot of different types of whole life mm-hmm. policy so you probably need to to help us out understand those. So I'm a business owner trying to you know build yeah. the financial stability. I want to be my own bank. I want to have all the the benefits. Why should I go with whole life before I look at maybe a universal life? Yeah, definitely. So uh, if, if we're looking at some of the problems associated with entrepreneurship or or during a, a, a business, um, there's some kind of like different. I would say overall general steps of problems that business owners face, like for a lot, and it depends on the size of the business. It depends on the industry. It depends on a lot of other factors, but let's say for example, in general, one side of uh, one problem is you might have business owners who um, have trouble making money. They have trouble bringing in new clients, increasing revenue over time. And then as they solve that, so they're, they're solving their marketing problems. Now they're actually getting the client retention. They're getting new clients. Now they're making, you know, extra money. Now they're making, they're profitable. Now they're making profits and hopefully right. multiple, Applying those profits. 
And then after that, it kind of stretches into a whole new world of problems now. And that is, what do we do with this money that we're saving? How do we do we reinvest it back into the business? Do we save for our retirement outside of the business? Do we save for retirement? Do we invest in the stock market? What exactly do we do with these with this money? And 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 the way to, I think to answer that is again, it, it all depends on the clients. It depends on the situations. It all I, I say the number one thing to do with that is be able to recycle that money, be able to use that those same dollars over and over again without them leaving your pocket. So, and with whole life insurance, if it's properly structured the right way, you could do so. And what I mean by properly structured is that there's a, there's a certain like uh, there's a couple of steps you need to follow to make sure it's the right policy that could address that for your business. So, in other words, you're your business owner, you want to figure out ways to retain more capital, retain more profits. You could do so with a whole life policy that is number one, it has to be whole life. It can't be universal or term. It has to be whole life. Number two, it has to be issued from a mutually owned insurance company. So that means that the opposite of a mutually owned insurance company is a stock owned company. Um, and the difference is with mutually owned insurance companies, they, they give their dividends back to the shareholders or sorry, the, to the policy or policy owners, whereas stock owned companies give their dividends back to the shareholders. So you need to make sure it's a mutually owned company. So that way you, you can get those dividends back into your pocket. Uh, the third difference is something you asked me about before we start recording. This is non-direct recognition versus direct recognition. Mm. Uh, you want to make sure the policy is non-direct recognition. Let's say, for example, what this means is let's say you have $100,000 in cash value in the policy, right? That's your cash value in the whole, in the whole life policy. You go in to borrow $50,000. When you go to borrow that $50,000 from the insurance company, they're going to give you a personal loan of $50,000, leveraging your $100,000 as cash value. You're not deducting from the cash value. That's key right there. You're borrowing against it. Now, people always ask, like, why, why do I have to borrow my own money? Well, the reason why you borrow your own money is because while you're using your money, you're borrowing it, your, your entire $100,000 is earning compound interest as if you've never touched it. So typically, your $100,000 is earning about 5% compound interest every year. And then when you borrow, for example, $50,000 from the insurance company, you're getting it 5% simple interest. So obviously, we always want to buy at simple and then earn at compound. Now we're thinking like a bank, you know, we're thinking, how do we leverage money and still be able to like uh, keep it growing even when we're using it? And this is where infinite banking comes in. So you have $100,000 here, it's compounding at 5% compound interest, and then you're bar buying the money at 5% simple interest. And when you do this, an arbitrage happens, meaning that the growth of the money outpaces the cost of the capital. This is non-direct recognition. The insurance company does not recognize that outstanding loan when paying you interest and dividends on your money. The opposite of that would be direct recognition, meaning that the, the insurance company would pay would stop paying you interest and dividends when you have an outstanding loan. So you need to make sure it's non-direct recognition because we want to be able as business owners to consistently and constantly use that capital over and over again uh, through borrowing from the, from the policy. And then number four is we want to make sure that there's something called a, a paid up additions rider. This is a part of the policy that helps increase the cash value over time and helps with flexibility. Um, a lot of businesses, maybe they might have different budgets and different um, uh, goals, different targets for funding policies. So they might say this year, we're going to do $10,000 a year. And the next year, we're going to do 20,000 for the few for a few years, and then go back down to $10,000 a year. You can do that with the paid up additions rider. It, it allows flexibility. It also turbocharges the cash value and the life insurance of the policy. So just to kind of recap whole life, um, mutually owned, non-direct recognition and paid up additions. This is the, 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 the specially special type of whole life insurance. This is the holy grail of whole life insurance <laughs> yeah. policy that you want. And I was reading uh, in an investment book, and this is exactly what it was talking about. I was talking about the importance of the non-direct yep. recognition type whole life policy, because the one that's directed, 
you, you, you don't get all the benefits, but mm -hmm. if it's non-direct, now you've got the money that's growing. So it's like, if I want to go invest in an apartment building and I've mm -hmm. got, you know, the hundred thousand dollars for the down payment, well, instead of taking my cash hundred thousand and using it as a down payment, mm -hmm. I could use it with a life insurance policy, like what you're describing. What would the benefits be of doing something like that versus just pulling my cash out of the bank? Yeah, Leo, that's an awesome question. So kind of like option A is just use cash for that down payment. And then option B is we're going to fund it first in a whole life policy and then borrow against it and then use that for the down payment. So I guess with option A, um, when you do that, when you use cash, you lose the opportunity cost you could have earned on that cash. Um, if, you if you were just imagine you were earning interest on that money. The, the, the day you took that money out and use it for a down payment, you, lo you no longer earn interest on that. So you give up that interest in exchange for that down payment. So you're kind of trading cash for something else. Option B, on the other hand, is that when you leverage the cash, you never spend it, really. You never spend it. You borrow against it. Um, and then you're able now to have almost 100% leverage. So let's say, for example, it was a, pause, it was a property that was $100,000. You borrowed $20,000 from your policy to use for the down payment as 20% down. And then 80% of it was financed through the bank. You're using 100% leverage now, um, but 20% comes from you. Now what's going to happen is when you're paying back that loan, let's say the property too, it's appreciating. Now the property, uh, the, the property value is appreciating and your cash value and the policy are both growing. Had you just gone with option A, you would change that cash just for the down payment on the property. Now you would only have the appreciation on the, on the property now, but not the policy. There's no more cash anymore. So I guess... Uh, the, this gives you the ability to constantly grow cash over and over without having to uh, see a dip in it. Also, you don't have to kind of trade. It's not either, you know, I save cash for the future or I invest it in real estate or my business right now. You could do both. You can kind of keep recycling both. And you'll notice that, you know, eventually um, you, you go to banks for your own convenience. You won't need to go to banks because you have to go eventually over time of doing this with experience, with more funding and getting the hang of infinite banking, you'll be able to become your own source of financing, which I guess is key for, um, for business owners. And Leo, I want to touch on one thing okay. is that for one of the benefits of borrowing from the policy, um, is that you never have to qualify for the loan. So imagine if you're in a situation where you can't qualify for funding, um, you can go to the policy and the insurance company will guarantee you to loan you out money up to 90% of your cash value. So all you need is cash value in the policy, up to 90% of that at any time you can borrow that money. So again, this is really important, especially like in hard times when like people like lose jobs and things like that. And there's like income verification, lack of income verification or credit goes down or some things like that happen all the time for business owners. This is, time, really, yeah. <laughs> this is a really good place to go to. So you'll never be uh, denied a loan. It's guaranteed liquidity. Okay. Okay. I like that. That's outstanding. So you have this ability to borrow from it. Now, how would it be possible to actually maybe earn a greater return on the money just from what it's growing in the annual compounding interest versus the loan that you take out against it? How would it be possible to maybe even be earning more than what you're paying. Is that dependent upon finding the right uh, mutually, you know, type of whole life insurance uh, company, or do you need to go outside to look for a cheaper loan against your whole life policy? How can you actually, you know, really create some arbitrage where you're making more? And, and so for example, let's go to our real estate example, right? I took the 20,000 out of the policy, put it as a down payment, but I did mm -hmm. it as a loan against yeah. my whole life policy. So yeah. I still have the 20 grand in the, the whole life policy yeah. it's sitting there. 
and it's growing, right? Yeah, what yeah. are the potential interest rates that that money could be growing at? And what is it tied to? How is it growing? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So the way it's growing is that back to the mutually owned insurance company. So as it's sitting with, so the mutually owned insurance company is a, is a for-profit business. It's a, it's a private organization that, that makes money. And what they're doing is they're taking in premium dollars from all these people uh, and they're pulling it together. And then they're going out and investing about 60% of that pool of money into the bond market and about 40% into private real estate loans. They also give out loans to other lenders. So those lenders can leverage those loans. So there's a lot of banking functions in insurance companies. I guess the difference is, is that the way they're regulated, uh, insurance companies are super conservative. They, they actually have to, they can't invest in super high risk investments. That's why it's mostly in private loans and, and, bond, and bonds. Uh, and that's how they're able to like so a lot of the insurance companies we work with, they've been in business for like 150 years, you know, they, and, and they've been providing dividends and uh, increasing cash values and paying out death claims and giving out policy loans and all these things, you know, all these guarantees over time for over a hundred years. So I guess that's really important to understand is like, imagine you're getting into business with a partner. You want to get into business with somebody who is, who's reliable, you know, who, who's very conservative and reliable. And then, definitely from the, from the funds that you borrow, you could use that for anything you want. And we actually encourage our clients to go out and invest those funds. So that way they could potentially earn higher rates of return. Because let's, let's be honest that the way the policy grows, it's a saving strategy. It's an enhanced saving strategy. It's not so much of an investment. That means you're going to see a conservative rate of return. You're only going to see, you know, um, three to 5%, you know, mostly 5% later on in the years, but typically three to 5%. It's not so much of a way where I'm going to put money in and like triple it, you know, in the next five years, Rather, it's a way that you can use those funds in there to uh, to grow. So I guess to answer your question is how do we like turbocharge that, cap, that, that, that money? I guess the best way to do that is to uh, put it into other um, like high performing assets or, or investments like real estate. Real estate is really good. Uh, let's say, for example, you put it into rental properties then you could take the rental income and then use the rental income to pay down the, the loan. You'll be left now with the, the real estate property appreciating and the policy both appreciating. As far as the loans, I've seen both ways where clients go to third-party banks and borrow um, at, at interest, lower interest rates, again, leveraging their cash value. That's something you could do. But what are some of those potential interest rates that you would uh, be able to borrow? Just again, uh, just estimating, and I'm sure there's a big range, but what is that uh, range often? Yeah, from the insurance company, it's typically five percent simple interest from the insurance okay. company. That's that's the rate right now. Um, I, it's it's tied to some bond index. I have to double check which one, but that's how they kind of weigh it out. And obviously, maybe um, like LIBOR or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and like the '90s, for example, like one of the insurance companies I work with in the, in the '90s, they used to charge like ten percent interest. You know, yeah. because obviously interest rates were greater than. Yeah. yeah, and then now it's it's five percent. But here's a cool thing too: is that so you know, as a mutually owned insurance company. They make money different ways. They make money from the premiums they take in minus the death benefits they pay out. So that there's a there's like a, a profit there. They make money from the bond market. They make money from private loans. They also make money from policyholder loans. So as you're paying back that policy loan to the insurance company at 5%, that's a source of revenue for them. That's a source of, of money for them. And when interest rates go up for the insurance company, that means they're making more money. They're charging more for the, for the cost of insurance, for the cost of capital. And then so do their dividends. Their dividends also go up. So sometimes I have clients where we look at the, the scale, we'll see, all right, in 1990, you know, interest rates were like 10%. Fast forward to 2021, they're about 5%. Some clients ask, what, I what if I have an outstanding loan and then interest rates go up like next year and the following year, and I have a really big, like, like a 15 year policy loan, which you could do with these policies. What if interest rates go up? And if interest rates go up, so do your dividends. 
So it's it's kind of a it's a nice hedge against unexpected market conditions like that, market trends like that, where you know if interest rates go up while you have an outstanding loan, um, then the dividends also go up too. And I can uh, definitely get into taxes too. That's one one thing I wanted to talk about too with taxes and infinite banking. Yeah. So so let's look at that example again. Our twenty thousand. I yeah. I bought this hundred thousand dollar piece of property, and let's say I made eight uh, percent uh, on that uh, property on that yeah. cash investment of twenty thousand dollars. I got some rental income, plus I got to depreciate uh, the property, yeah. so I'm winning there. And uh, my eight percent return over the next twelve months on that twenty thousand you know, ends up being, you know, what is that? $1,600. So I made an 8% return. I'm excited. And let's say my whole life policy, would it be feasible to find a bank or someone where I could uh, get a loan instead of a 5% or 4% or yeah. think that'd be possible. And then what would be a, an anticipated range of what the policy itself might be earning on an annual basis? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to answer the first part, yeah, definitely. You could do that where you borrow maybe at 4% if you could find a better rate. And then the, the policy itself is growing over time. It's averaging between like 3% and 5% compound every year. So eventually in the later years, you'll see it more towards the 5% growth. And, and in the beginning years, you'll see it more kind of on the 3% range. Mm -hmm. I think it's important also for the listeners to understand so, so that. So if you were paying 5% uh, interest on the loan and you were only growing at three, then you might technically be seeing a decrease in the principal balance if you were having an arbitrage loss of 2%? Uh, possibly. But the thing is, is that with the cash value, like for example, in the first couple of years, the cash value is not going to, you can only borrow up to 90% of the cash value and the yeah. cash value is not going to be that great. So yeah, I would say, yeah, you won't see the positive arbitrage in the first few years. You won't see it. it's a long-term strategy. You usually see it later on, um, later on in the, in the policy years. So what's the 90% the maximum loan amount that you can mm -hmm. get off of that policy? Yes, correct. Gotcha. So if I put like uh, 100,000 in, I've got 100,000. Now, now, how does that uh, break down uh, typically? And, you know, obviously there's a big range in estimate, but if I put 100,000 into a whole life policy, what would my estimated cash value be on that? What would my cost of insurance be, do you think? Yeah. Awesome question. Yeah. So there's, there's different, we work with about three different insurance companies yeah. and each one has about like 10 different products. So th this, this question could vary. It could be For sure. um, different types of products. Like one product that we're working with right now, that's actually fascinating, especially right now with like, a lot of people right now have like, for example, like EIDL funding and all these other yeah. types of, you know, um, government funding they have. So one thing that we've been seeing an uptick in this actually is there's a product that's called a single premium whole life policy. This means that it's just a one-time payment that you put into the policy. So let's say even numbers, you put a hundred thousand dollars into this policy. You've just paid up the whole policy. Now you don't have to make any more payments on the policy. Um, and then you could turn around about seven business days later and borrow $90,000 from this policy, 10% of that. So this policy, this policy actually has no uh, fees. It has no cost of insurance to it. And you could, uh, yeah, you could borrow up to $90,000 from this policy. Now, other policies too, they don't work like this. Other policies are going to be more- Does, does it have a death benefit as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. It has a death benefit, yeah. So, so if you did 100000 like that, and now you can borrow 90%, yeah. so what, does that mean the cash value is 90%? What would the cash value be? The cash value would be 100. So uh, premiums going okay. in would be 100000 one one time payment. Cash okay. value is equal to the first year's premium. So $100,000 in cash value. Loan amount would be $90,000. Gotcha. So wait, what would the, if I put a hundred thousand into that whole life policy, there has to be some 
insurance cost in there somewhere, right? Yeah, not with this one, not with this one specific, oh, really? <laughs> specific company, specific product. Usually there is. Yeah, you're right. Usually there are uh, fees. There's an insurance expense associated, not fees, but insurance expenses associated. We don't charge any fees. We get paid directly from the insurance companies. So we're not charging fees on top of the helping clients with the, with the cases. But there are, yeah, definitely there's insurance expenses. The insurance company has to pay for underwriters, actuaries. You know, they have to pay for the sure. labs, the t- all these different employees and stuff. So they, they usually, usually policy owners experience the, the highest fees or I keep saying fees, insurance expenses in the first few years, probably the first two or three years. And then after that, they can start seeing kind of a growth pattern in the later years. Um, but yeah, to back to this, this one product where you put like the single premium, you can put 90,000 and you have a death benefit too right away, depending on the person's age, uh, they're putting in a hundred thousand, their death benefits probably be around $300,000. So about three times really? that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then this policy will also give you the option to add more money into it up to 25% of what you put in the first year. So this means if you put a hundred thousand in every year after that, you could add up to $25,000 a year into this policy. Nice. So if you did a million bucks, you could put 250,000 in each year. And, yep. Yeah. And uh, that way it's really growing. And now you've got this cash value and now you are your own bank, right? Yeah. So the, the trick is you just to be, to be profitable enough in your business that you're putting that money in there mm-hmm. and you're getting the, uh, you're getting a lot of protection. What's the downside risk on it? Yeah. Okay. So uh, downside to it is that there's some lack of liquidity, right? Especially if you're putting in a you know a million dollars into the policy first year, you'd be able to borrow nine hundred thousand okay. um, dollars. That this is what the highest one, the highest liquidity policy is that you know a ten percent uh, lack of liquidity actually, and mostly this is the best situation, best case scenario. In a lot of other situations, you put in you know for example ten thousand year one. You might have five thousand in cash value after that, and then it keeps growing. And you know, after that, and usually around three, year three, year four, that's when we start seeing the growth. So I guess the downside is there's a liquidity period or a capitalization period, a period of time where you have to build up the policy. It's not so much of like a, a fast way to make money. I think it's and it's kind of like it's also this connects with also a lot of mindsets too. Like people who buy into infinite banking are typically looking long-term and they're looking for different ways to use the same dollars. Because, you know, the beginning, we talk about some different problems, like the, you know, what do we do with this cash? That's one problem. The second problem is, you know, financing. Are we always going to get approved for financing? We don't know that. Even if you are able to get approved for financing, the, the banks too are not always in a situation to lend out too. So you also want to create a hedge against that, a way for you to always get access to money, even when banks aren't lending out money. And then, Taxes too. So the growth of these policies grows tax deferred. And then when you take the money out in the later years, typically they are tax free, tax free dollars, even with the gains. So it's something a lot of business owners need to remember is that, you know, what's your tax? Are, are they tax free only after age 65 or is there, at what point are they tax free? So in most situations, the policies are always tax free. The tax free growth, tax free withdrawals, tax free loans, all, all around they're tax free. Um, there's no age restrictions like a 401k or IRA. You don't have to wait until age, age 59 and a half. You could borrow that money or use the money as withdrawals at any time you want in most situations, as long as it's, it's called a non-modified endowment contract. Contract, In other words, it's, an, it's not a modified endowment contract. That's the only time you don't have to pay taxes on this money. So you could literally have money compounding in these policies forever. Um, pass that on to your the next generation income tax-free through the death benefit. And then just keep it in the policies through family banking policies without paying taxes on the growth of these policies or the death benefits. Mm, outstanding. Yeah, that's amazing <laughs> stuff. So, so a lot of tax benefits, you can pull it out. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's compounding, and typically it's compounding at about three to five percent on an annual basis. Yeah, and then once it gets uh, rolling a little bit, do, do you see an increase, or is it typically about that three to five percent um, growth rate? And 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 the the bigger thing is your odds of losing part of that principal is is pretty low. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that comparing to the track record of insurance companies that have been in business, you know, for over 150 years, they've been paying out dividends. Yeah, definitely. It's protected. It's safe. Um, again, it's a saving strategy because some people would say, look, there's no such thing as an investment uh, or a risk-free investment. And there right. isn't really, this is a saving strategy. It's meant to be used for investments. And yeah, definitely there's, um, so typically when we're, we're putting together the policies, there's typically two columns of, of growth for the policies. One column is the guaranteed side. And the other side is the non-guaranteed side. So guarantees are the insurance company in writing says for the next 50 years, for example, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars each year, uh, guaranteed. So on this side, it's guaranteed no matter what happens. If you know the stock market takes a huge hit, the dollar crashes, everything crashes, we're still going to pay you out this money you know, in the legal writing, the legal contract. On the other side, the non-guaranteed side is saying if we have, it's, it's going to be the base of it, it's going to be the guarantees plus dividends. So it's going to be like, if we're having a good year, we're going to give you dividends too. So technically mm. the insurance company, if they're profitable that year, they will distribute those profits amongst the policy owners in the form of dividends that get deposited into the whole life policy, or you can have them as a check paid out to you. So, so the dividends are not technically dividends are not guaranteed, but again, we're only working with a few insurance companies, about three of them to be exact. And these insurance companies have a, have a proven track record of paying out dividends year after year, regardless of market conditions. And so how do these insurance companies make money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they um, they make money from the actual life insurance part. That's profitable for them. So they take in dollars and then, you know, promise death benefits. But obviously people tend to live for a really long time. So they make money that way. The dollars they hold in versus the, the dollars they spend at underwriting profit. Uh, number two, they invest in the bond market. So over time, they're making money that way. Number three, they're giving out loans to other financial institutions. So for example, Bank of America and Chase, They'll go to an insurance company and borrow like two hundred million dollars from them. Um, they actually prefer they like to go to insurance companies because insurance companies. Actually, here is a funny here's a fun fact wheel. So I was reading this book. It's called All About Annuities, yeah. and the author was saying that if you wanted to kind of conceptualize how much cash life insurance companies have, think of it this way: if all the life insurance companies in the United States alone got together and put all their cash in one pile, that pile of cash would be greater than all of the banks in the world, plus all of the oil companies in the world combined together. That's how much cash life insurance companies in the United States have. And it's because of regulatory requirements. They have to have you know, X amount of dollars per person, per in assets under management in reserves. So that kind of gives an idea of how uh, profitable and how much money these insurance companies actually have. Got you. And they're safely investing most of the time in bonds, and maybe some uh, some private uh, deals that are mm-hmm. with really big companies like a Chase or Bank of America, and and it's a pretty safe return on investment there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Well, very cool. Well, everybody who's listening to this is probably thinking, "Wow, this sounds amazing. This is what I need to be doing with my money. It's way better than sitting at the bank doing nothing, and it's actually better and a safer." place to have it because then you can p- still pull it out as cash mm-hmm. and a loan, yeah. invest it in your real estate, invest it in your projects, invest in your business, but you still have it there growing and protected. Yeah. And that's why it's uh, it's just a better place, obviously, than the bank that's paying you nothing. 
So, so how do they take action? How can they connect up with you and your team and, and look at maybe one of these options, which uh, sounds pretty amazing to get the tax benefit, mm-hmm. the uh, non-directed thing where it's not connected. You can take a loan out without the uh, insurance company penalizing you. Mm-hmm. How, how, what's the next step? Yeah. So there's two, I, I, I recommend for everybody that, that that's interested in this concept, learn about it, learn as much as you can about it. Um, and, I, and I have two books I want to give away for free. If you reach wow. out to us, if you go to our website, it's finassetprotection.com. Um, there's, there's a bunch of ways to connect there. You can schedule an, uh, an appointment. You can send me an email. You can connect me on LinkedIn, all from that website, finassetprotection.com. I actually wrote one of those books. So I'll send you both of those books if you reach out. One of them was written by Nelson Nash, the, inv- the person who invented the godfather of infinite banking, the person who invented infinite banking. And then the other book was written by me. I'll send you both of those copies for free. Um, and just reach out to me and ask me for them. I'll, I'll email you them uh, as uh, electronic versions. Perfect. Amazing. So reach out, guys. It's finassetprotection.com. He's got two gifts for you. And more importantly, he's got a safe spot to put your money that's much better than a bank. And you still see the best part about it is you still get to use it for your investments and to mm-hmm. grow mm-hmm. up to 90%, which is outstanding. And there really is no other product like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Leo, for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, hey, Sarah, you've been an amazing guest and dropped a lot of value bombs. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Once again, finassetprotection.com. And, you know, so it sounds complicated. It's simpler (laughs) than it actually sounds. And you might have to listen to the episode two or three times. But if you do, you'll have a really good grasp of how it works. And the bottom line is term life can be good maybe for some of those you know, big, cheap policies that you need just to protect your family. But if you really want to use your cash smart, you probably need to touch base with Sari and the financial asset protection team and get that whole life policy. And uh, it sounds like it's a last uh, last point, uh, comparing the whole versus the term or not not term, but the the universal. uh, Why would you want to go with the whole over the universal? Yeah, a whole. Would there be an instance where maybe universal would be better for somebody, or is whole most oftentimes the better policy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that um, I think for the to to better answer the question, it's number one, outline all your objectives, and yep. then let's assume that one of those object, object, objectives is to have you know guaranteed growth in the future. Your whole life could better address that objective than universal life. Universal life. Um, every year it's renewing. So for example, if you do a, a universal life policy at the age of 30, age 30, there's a rate. And then age 31, there's another rate. And then age 32, and then eventually by the time you're 50 years old, you're paying the highest cost of insurance at age you know, 50 than you were at age 30. So it's the opposite of whole life. Whole life typically has the highest insurance expenses in the first two or three years. And then after that, it kind of tapers down and it becomes, you get your money back. You get a, there's a break-even point with whole life insurance. You end up getting more of it back every year. And then eventually compounds much greater than what you actually put into it. Universal, it kind of flips the opposite. Universal life companies are notorious for showing exaggerated returns. They'll show you, you know, 12%, 13% every year. And a lot of insurance advisors- the Markets don't grow quite like that. They're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of insurance companies and advisors got sued because what they would do is, it's like the oldest trick in the book, which you would do yeah. is you would just print out an illustration of a universal life company showing you 12% return. Then you would print out an illustration of a whole life company showing you 3% and you say, pick one. And then everybody's gonna say, I want 12% over 3%. But that's not that, it's not that simple actually. There's more to it than that. It's actually the opposite of that. Eventually the whole, and eventually there's a lot of times where universal life policies end up collapsing 
you know, when you're 50 mm. or 60 years old, they end up collapsing because the cost of insurance outpaces what you're actually putting into it. I mean, they become so expensive that you have to cancel the policies. Well, sounds like you guys want to do a whole policy, but you know, <laughs> it depends again on your investment objectives and everything. But I think for a lot of business owners, I've certainly heard them talk about this infinite banking concept. Yeah. And uh, Sari's really got a unique perspective on it. You can tell he's an expert and you want an expert, you know, working with your money. So Sari, thank you so much for being on the show. And guys, once again, that's finassetprotection.com. Thank you. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.